Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. UFC 239 this past weekend was a doozy. That's right, UFC 239 delivered in every way possible. We'll be talking about all the fights that we loved on that card, including the main event and the close decision victory for John Jones. We'll be talking about Amanda Nunez's head kick knockout victory of Holly Holm. And of course, we have to talk about Jorge Masvidal's flying knee knockout of Ben Askren in just five seconds. A UFC record, mind you. And... That, that certainly inspired us because we want to do a combat countdown this week of the top five flying knee knockouts. You guys chimed in on Twitter on what your favorite ones are. We narrowed it down to five, although we, we got a couple of honorable mentions in there as well. But you're going to get the whole list. Plus, if that's not enough UFC and MMA content for you, we'll be talking about UFC in Sacramento. We'll talk about our three favorite fights in the card. And we'll have interviews with Ricky Simon and Vince Morales. You're certainly going to want to hang on for all of that great content. But first, I got to remind you that this episode is brought to you by ADK Fightwear. Go to adkfightwear.com, use promo code TURTLE, T U R T L E, all lowercase. You're going to get 20% off high quality grappling gear. And if you're a grappler, you know how hard it is to get high quality gear at low prices. Everywhere out there has got their stuff so expensive that you can barely afford enough to grapple in. Well, let me tell you about what you can get at adkfightwear.com. They've got their Go Green No Gi shorts. And if you use our promo code, you can get them for just 16 bucks. That's right, just 16 bucks. And maybe you're not a no-gi person. Maybe you like to train in a gi. And if you are, I've got good news for you because their Mountain ADK Royal Blue Gi is just $64 with our promo code. That's right, a $64 high-end grappling gi. You're not going to find them anywhere in the world like this. Go to ADKFightwear.com. ADK Fightwear brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. Daniel Gumby Freeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Ricky Simone, who fights Uriah Faber this weekend at UFC Sacramento. So, Ricky, I want to start by looking at something real quick. You were 14 years old when Uriah Faber first beat Dominic Cruz for the WEC title. He became a big deal at that point in time. Were you a big fan of MMA growing up, and if so, did you like sort of follow his career? Um, you know, my, uh, my dad and my older brother were big fans of MMA and, um, you know, I would pretend to like it and watch it just so I could hang out with them and, you know, share a common interest. But, you know, I always thought those guys were kind of crazy and, you know, I never really saw myself doing it. But, um, you know, once I hit like, uh, toward, uh maybe I graduated from high school, you know, I, that's when I really got into it, uh, started training a little bit and yeah, your favorite was definitely somebody that, you know, we, we loved to watch. He was a trailblazer for the guys in the smaller weight classes. And he was always entertaining. So so what sort of took you from that point where you were saying to yourself, uh, guys who fight MMA are absolutely crazy too. Well, maybe I got to step into the gym and try this for myself. I think I realize I'm a little crazy too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I grew up, I, I have four brothers. I, we grew up fighting all the time. and You know, I, um, I started wrestling from a young age, um, dabbled in boxing here and there my older brother and I would just log ourselves in our room and we would just have, you know, hour and a half jujitsu matches just from what we watched on TV. You know, uh, he would have like one good submission. I would have one good submission and we would just, you know, wrestle for an hour or two hours until someone tapped, you know? So yeah, I, um, and you know, I always had that, 
fire in me and I, I did end up, you know, I, I did find a love for watching it, watching the fights. And, uh, yeah, you know, I, I uh, had my first competition and I, I fell in love with it pretty quick. That's awesome. Now, I know when this Uriah Faber fight came about, when, when he first said he was going to come back, a lot of people were campaigning for this spot. You weren't one of the people who I saw out there trying to get their name in there, but was there anything you said to maybe your manager or to the UFC about trying to get this fight? Yeah, uh, ESPN. The only thing I did was ESPN put out a um, "Who Should Uriah Faber Come Back?" and I did that little emoji with the guy raising his hand. I did that on Instagram and Twitter, and it got a lot of traction. So next thing I know, I'm getting a call to fight him, and I was surprised myself too. But I'm, I was excited as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and now, what are your general thoughts about him coming back? Because obviously, you know, he had that big like farewell match. He did quite well in it, picking up a win. Uh, but here he is. He, he's coming back, you know, several years later. What, what are your thoughts on him, you know, bringing it back to the UFC? You know, uh, good for him. He, he seems like a really successful guy outside of the, the cage as well. He has, always has a lot going on. Um, you know, I think a lot of fighters can learn from that. But, you know, he must see something in himself to want to come back. And, and he's always in the gym. He's been competing in some jiu-jitsu tournaments and stuff. So, you know, if he if he feels like he wants to come back, I, I, you know, I'm excited to welcome him back. Yeah, and you know who else is going to be excited to welcome him back? And it's the Sacramento crowd. So you're walking into a place that has probably never rooted for anybody harder. You know, his WEC days, those places were packed okay. looking for him. Have you ever fought anywhere where you felt like you were that big of uh, not not I'm not gonna say a, a hated enemy, but that big against a fan favorite? Yeah, um, you know, I can't say that I have not 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 to this scale, not not at this level. You know, this is a co-main event on the biggest stage in the world, fighting a Hall of Famer. You know, so I've been I've been to venues where I got booed walking out because I was fighting some hometown guy, but. Uh, you know, not to this scale. So I, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. It's gonna. I have. I, ha, I know. I have. Uh, you know, at least a few hundred people coming out to watch me too. But you know, it, it, that's that's nothing compared to like. Uh, I'm sure the fans that he's gonna have out there. So it, it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be an awesome environment. Well, and it's interesting that you say awesome environment when they're going to be so against you because we we just spoke with your cousin Vince Morales, who's fighting earlier on the card too against Benito Lopez, uh, who is an alpha male guy, and he's going to be an, em an enemy territory as well. What what about fighting an em enemy territory excites you? Um, it doesn't excite me. It doesn't. It doesn't discourage me. It doesn't phase me. Yeah, I, 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 um, once I start making that walk, I'm locked in. So it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me. I, I've walked, um, in front of some big crowds already. And, uh, yeah, once, uh, once I start making that walk, I, I, I have tunnel vision and, and I'm just ready to go. So, uh, uh I mean, yeah, I, I'm excited. I'm excited just to, to, uh, for the experience. But, um, yeah, yeah, I don't think, you know, uh, uh, I'm going to have like, you know, it, the the crowd's gonna play it play a factor really at all. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I want to talk about this fight stylistically too, because obviously uh, Faber is a guy who's got you know a really good guillotine. It's well documented. Uh, he's got some decent wrestling chops himself. You mentioned you know you started at a very young age wrestling, but you're also very comfortable on your feet in MMA. How do you sort of see this fight playing out? And and what's the you know without giving away too much, what's the game plan here? Yeah, I think <clears throat> there's definitely some similarities in, in uh, Uriah and myself. Um, but uh, I, I think that, 
you know, I think I feel like I look more like Uriah Faber than Uriah Faber does at this point. I'm, I'm a little bit more explosive. I, we, we keep both kind of have that pressure style, good, good wrestlers, explosive stand-up. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the younger fighter. I'm the more explosive fighter, and I'm going to be stronger and faster in there. So that, and, and I'm going to use that to my advantage, and, and I'm going to be one step ahead. Awesome. And I love that, that description, more like Uriah Faber than Uriah Faber. Now, it's always hard for me to get predictions out of fighters, but do you have a prediction? How, how are you going to get the job done when it comes this weekend? Uh, I'm going to do what I always do. I'm going to pressure. And, uh, I, I honestly feel like no one can keep up with me. We, we, we see, we've seen it in, in a, in a few fights now. And the more comfortable I get in there, the more dangerous I get in there. So I, I honestly feel like at the end of the second, early third round finish, if not, you know, it, Uriah Faber was a tough guy to get out of there. Obviously he's a hall of famer. So, but I, either way, I see my hand getting raised even in the de- decision. All right, I like that. Now, I just want to ask you one more question, too, not about the fight, but I, I recently saw with the UFC releasing John Lineker, he was removed from the rankings this past week. You pop into the rankings at number 15. Do you keep an eye on stuff like that? Is there any added pressure to perform now that you're one of the guys in the rankings? Nah, none at all. I mean, I was ranked 14th and 15th, and I got kicked out of the rankings, you know, so I don't keep up with that too much. Uh, it'll mean more to me once I'm in the top 10, once I'm in the top 5, and and I, they start they start uh, calling me up to be a you know a title uh, a contender or challenger you know so that that's when it'll mean mean more to me. But sitting outside like a fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, you know it, it's cool, but you know they don't mean that much to me. Well, a win over your eye of favor here would certainly change that and give you a pretty significant boost. We'll be watching here. Once again, this was Ricky Simon who fights Uriah Faber this weekend at UFC Sacramento. Ricky, thank you so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it. Hell yeah, thank you. This is Daniel Gumby, Vreeland, with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to Vince Morales, who fights Benito Lopez this weekend at UFC in Sacramento. So, Vince, you're going to be fighting on the same card as your cousin, Ricky Simon, uh, who will be on the show later uh, as well. What's that like? It's great, man. It's uh, honestly something we've been waiting for and trying to make happen for for a few years now. Uh, it's just awesome that it can happen on a big stage for us. Yeah, and it certainly is a big stage for him, too. I mean, like, he's fighting uh, Uriah Faber in Ro- Uriah Faber's hometown. What has it sort of been like, you know, seeing him get ready for a fight like that? Uh, it, it, it being a family affair, we know where our focus is, so it's... Man, I've, I haven't got to train with him as much as I'd like to for this camp, but uh, I've been following his social media. He looks ready, more ready than ever, honestly. Uh, I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. All right, yeah, and that's certainly an exciting fight. Now, I want to talk about your fight. You're going into hostile territory as well. You're fighting an alpha male guy right in Sacramento. Uh, you fought a Canadian last time out and a Korean in Asia the time before that. D- do you just love fighting in hostile territory all the time? Honestly, yeah, that's where half my pro career was back in uh, when I was fighting at Front Street fights over in Boise, Idaho. I was always the outsider coming in, fighting their their prospects and their hometown people. So it's kind of just a day in the life for me. And, and what what do you like so much about it? Do you like the the negative hostile energy? Do do you like uh, do you feed off the crowd? What what is it about it that you like? Uh, both those things actually. Usually, what happens, I end up kind of turning the crowd on my end and. Uh, they end up supporting me at the end of the day. That's one thing I like. Um, and it kind of, it's, it's a lot of the pressure is off me at that point. Uh, it's kind of all on the hometown guys. So that, that's all on them. I just like to play spoiler, I guess. 
Now, uh, speaking of of playing spoiler and sort of being the enemy in hostile territory, I saw before your last fight that you had some people messaging you on Instagram that they were about to bet large amounts of money against you. Uh, what was that sort of like, and are you getting any of that this time with Lopez? Actually, uh, yeah, yeah, that was actually for this time uh, with, with Lopez. It's kind of the first time I've had somebody uh, trying to antagonize a little bit. Uh, <laughs> It, it it doesn't bug me at all. Uh, I kind of just like to kill them with a little bit of kindness and then roll with the punch, and then eventually they'll be on my side and they'll be doing that on the other end. So, Well, we certainly look forward to that. Now, I want to talk about that fight with Zahabi, uh, which was obviously a big one. It moved you, you to one and one, got your first win. Is there sort of a sense of relief after that fight? Are you more relaxed going into this one as a result? Uh, yes and no. Um, it, it feels good to get the first win. Uh I really wanted to validate myself and get that win so I can call myself a, a UFC fighter. It's kind of the same way people look at uh, championship belts. Uh, you're really not the champ until you're defending it. So being in the UFC, I wanted to get that first win. Uh, now I've, I've, I've got a few fights left on my contract. The goal is now to win those, obviously, and then get a new contract so I can really, really make a statement for myself. And, and, you know, in this day and age, too, it, it's become more and more about making sure that you're you're having entertaining fights. Obviously, your fight with Ayman Zahabi was very entertaining. What do you like about the matchup here with Benito Lopez? Do you think we're in, in turn for, like, a fight of the night type performance, or are we looking at a one-sided beatdown? Uh, I really feel like it could be, like, a, one of those fight of the night ones. Uh, he seems like the kind of guy who just wants to stay right in, right in your face and throw some crazy stuff, try, try to be unpredictable. And I kind of like to deliver back and shut that down immediately. So, uh, to me, that's got the ingredients for a fight of the night. Um, we'll, we'll see, how, we'll see how, that, how it ends up after he ends up getting hit a little bit. Yeah, and so, uh, you know, you, you said you're the type of guy who likes to just stand there and trade with him, make sure you're giving it back to him and punish him for being creative. Uh, is there any sense that, you know, he might get too wild here, or are you worried at all about his takedown game? Uh, so... Him going for a takedown is something that we've, we've kind of considered just because we we know where my strength is and we know where people might perceive my weakness to be. Um, I, I'm prepared for that as well. Like we, we go into every fight with the the mindset that we can um, that we can win it anywhere and we'll be ready for anything. So if if he does, I'll be ready for that and I think I can surprise the people there. If he doesn't, then I mean I think it's gonna be a long night for him. Yeah, and, and obviously, you know, you mentioned you're, you're comfortable anywhere, but if in a perfect world, in a perfect predicted world here, what is, uh, what's the prediction for how this fight goes down with Benito Lopez? I'm usually not one for, for, predicting, for predicting fights, unfortunately. Uh, in my mind, I, I think I, I think I'd break him somewhere in the second round um, if, if all goes the way it should. But uh, I'm, I'm prepared for it to go longer, and if it goes shorter, great. All right, so you don't like predicting your own fights. How about predicting one for your cousin? How did your cousin get it done against the legend Uriah Faber? I think he runs through him. If he doesn't stop him early, you're looking at a dominating performance through and through. Um, might go all three rounds just because uh, Faber is that tough legend coming back trying to prove something, but Ricky's a different animal. Uh, I, I think he's one of the best guys out there right now. All right, well, you heard it here first, folks. This was Vince Morales, who fights Benito Lopez this weekend at UFC Sacramento. Vince, thank you so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it. Not a problem, Dan. I appreciate you having me. And those interviews with Ricky Simon and Vince Morales are brought to you by Maroon Social. 
M-A-R-U-N-E, Maroon Social, is the one and only social media app to track your BJJ progression. Wait a second, what's that I hear? It is no longer just an app for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu enthusiasts. It now gives you the opportunity to check in all of your martial arts training. That's right. If you like to train multiple martial arts, this is the app for you because it's going to allow you to track your progress in each and every single one of those. So let me tell you how this works. You're going to go to whatever app store you use. You're going to download the Maroon Social app. Once you have it, you can set up your profile with where you train, what you like to train primarily, and maybe who your instructor is as well as your belt level and stuff like that. Then you can log your training sessions, and Maroon does a great job of updating you, telling you how long you've put in each and every month, each and every week, so that you can keep tallies and make sure you're making progression in the right way. Plus, you can tag friends, log competitions, and all kinds of other great features. Check it out, Maroon Social. Now, let's head back to the show. I'm Daniel Gumby-Vreeland, as always, joined by Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, what'd you think about Ricky Simon saying he's more Uriah Faber than Uriah Faber? I think that is a very astute, astute observation by Simon. Now, time will tell if he's actually correct, but I kind of buy what he's saying. Yeah, I I buy what he's saying, too. You know, like, I think all of us are a little bit curious about what we're going to see out of a 40-year-old Uriah Faber. Like, I I don't think anybody out here is thinking that 40-year-old Uriah Faber is the real deal anymore. So I, I think he makes a good point. I mean, he's 26 years old. He's got a wrestling background. He's super powerful. And we've seen in his three fights so far that he, he is definitely uh, a top 15 guy. All right. Well, we have a jam-packed show, so let's get on with what brought us to the dance. It's our favorite segment on the podcast. Well, at least tied for our favorite segment on the podcast. It's Fastest Fight News. If you don't know the gimmick, we deliver the news to you in under 15 minutes or less, or your podcast is free. Let's face it, you have a lot going on in your life. You're very busy. You don't want to listen to an MMA podcast for over an hour. That's what Fastest Fight News is all about. Let's catch everyone up on what's going on in the world of MMA. And really, it all starts and ends With this past weekend at UFC 239, John Jones defended his title. Santos put up a good showing. I had Jones winning three out of the five rounds, but I haven't gone back to rewatch it. Did Jones actually win this fight to you? I'm going to be honest. As I was live scoring, I had Jones winning four rounds. Uh, I had it it 49-46. I had Jones in, in two, three, four, and five. The only round I gave Tiago Santos was the first uh, look, I think that if you were listening to the announcing, the announcing continued to tell us that Santos was doing more damage with his punches, which I think was just because we were looking at him landing headshots, right? Like, he, he, he landed probably, and I haven't looked at the stats, he landed probably more devastating headshots. But when you look at the damage, like, Jones was working the body. Jones completely demolished his leg. Like, Jones forced him to change stance. Jones controlled position in the cage. Like, I really do think Jones could have put it on him more, but as far as a safe technical fight, I think he did more than enough to win enough rounds. Uh, I fucking, I have to be completely honest with you. I love the performance from John Jones going against someone who had one punch knockout power. The only thing I questioned him on, and we of course found out that Santos busted his ACL, his PCL, his MCL, all his meniscus. Basically, he has no knee. A nuclear bomb went off in his knee. So I do question, and maybe you have the answer to this, Gumby, why did Jones not pressure wrestle more? Yeah, I kind of wanted to see wrestling out of him, but at the same time, like, you know, 
he wanted to show that he could put together a technical approach against the power puncher. Because I, I think everybody was like, well, the power puncher is the person who could beat him. We need a big power puncher. It's not the person who could beat him, right? Like, the person who could beat him needs to be somebody who can put together a five-round super smart game plan, right? Like, I, I thought Alexander Gustafson was miles, miles, and miles above where Tiago Santos was as far as a John Jones fight. You know, like, I, I thought he put more pressure on Jones. I think he put Jones in worse spots. I think he landed better shots on Jones. I think he made Jones more uncomfortable. Santos just seemed to like land one or two big shots, but Jones takes those. So I appreciate the fact that Jones fought that kind of fight so that we could see that that's not the style to beat Jones. Amanda Nunez head kick knocked out Holly Holm. Uh, just, just a masterful performance out of Amanda Nunes. She's not only the goat uh, female fighter of all time, she's like, Without question, there's not even a discussion, the GOAT female fighter of all time, correct? Yeah, obviously, and I think we need to start talking about taking that word female out of there. Because uh, I think what she's done in the women's divisions warrants talk about whether or not she's one of the greatest fighters of all time, period. And I, I think the answer is getting very close to yes. Now, I'm not ready to rank her over john jones and probably a, a handful of other really great fighters in history but the fact of the matter is is she knocked out cyborg home uh misha tate and ronda rousey which are the four ones who people have potentially tied the word goat to before in the past think about any any male mma fighter who you could say has beaten four goats four people we've put the word goat on and there's nobody Right, like there's nobody who's beaten that many people who are considered the top of the division. Now, some of that is because of when she's walking into women's MMA, when we're we're starting to assign things like that. But the fact of the matter is, is she's got a damn good resume. You know, um, I think that's another. It, it's an interesting point you bring up. It's it's maybe something we'll debate in the future. Uh, like you said, it's still early in the UFC women's. Uh, divisions all of them um but that being said i do find it so interesting how and this is something that's been brought up in the past couple of days uh former espn reporter darren Ravel has been all over this saying how amanda noons isn't a star and and clearly she's not a household name yet it's just so interesting to me obviously the way ronda rousey was marketed you have the quotes from Joe Rogan, she could beat men, she could do this, she could beat Floyd, uh, the magazine covers, the movie role she got from it. And then you have Amanda Nunes, who really is the real deal and is good in all facets of the game. Whereas I think Rhonda, I'm not going to say she got incredibly lucky, but she was able to have a lot of girls play into her strength mm -hmm. until Holly Holm came along. And Holly fought a very smart game plan, was able to neutralize takedown attempts and just strike with her, and we saw the result. I find Amanda Nunes has, uh, you know, a better all-around game than Ronda and clearly is levels above when it comes to striking. Now, the marketing aspect is probably never going to catch up with Ronda, but it's just funny how... You know, two years ago, we think of Ronda Rousey as the greatest female, blah, 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 blah. But it's so clearly Amanda Nunes. Yeah, and, but I think that that happened in the men's divisions, too, at one point in time. Like, I think for a little while, people were talking. Like, if we go back to the Chuck and Tito era, 
people were talking about Chuck Liddell of possibly being like one of the great fighters of all time. And I don't think looking back, anybody would argue that he's even close to that, right? Like, is he a monumental figure for MMA? Absolutely. But in the, the bottom line is like, he was a very certain style fighter. And when that style stopped working, he was screwed. And Ronda's the same way, right? Like Ronda came up at a time where there was a little bit less competition than there is now. Her style worked. And when it stopped working, uh, people sort of got the full picture of where she actually stood as far as like a greatest of all time moniker. So I think her, her legacy should be that she was a great one. Um, but yeah, I think times change like that all the time and we start to see things for what they really are. All right. Well, John Jones defends his title, stays really undefeated. Let's face it, we're not counting the Matt Hamill loss. I don't really even count the no contest to Daniel Cormier that he won. Amanda Nunes cements herself as the GOAT female fighter. But I think the highlight of UFC 239 <laughs> and what we'll all remember years from now is Jorge fucking Masvidal knocking Ben Askren unconscious within about really three seconds. I know the official time was five seconds, but it was really a three-second fight. Flying me right off the bat. What a moment in MMA history. Yeah, it was freaking crazy, dude. In in the scariest part of it, too, at least the scariest part of it for me, was the way that, that Ben Askren's body, like, seized up. It was very, like, Terry Adam, Edson Barboza-esque in the fact that, like, he was just, like, stuck. His muscles were stuck in that position, which is always a scary knockout. And I don't know if you got the chance to hear him uh, do an interview with Helwani. I believe it was on Monday. Uh, but he said that he didn't remember anything after, like, the horn blew for round one until he was in a hospital bed. Which is mm. just freaking crazy to think about because they had him up and walking around. They had him do his medicals backstage. They got him in an ambulance. And, like, he was walking and talking through all of that, and his brain wasn't making memories. Which is just so fucking scary when you think about it. I just hope he has the wherewithal to take some time for himself. Uh, similar to the way that, that uh, Stephen Waterboy Thompson did after his first knockout. You know, like, really take some time, allow your brain to recover, because that was a scary one. Uh, I also love, I have to say, not only was it one of the top knockouts of all time, I think Jorge Masvidal had one of the best MMA quotes of all time afterwards in the press conference. He said I j something along the, the lines, and I'm paraphrasing, I just don't like that dude. If I saw him at Whole Foods, I would still slap him up. Yeah. <laughs> and there's something that just absolutely tickles my funny bone, just gets me right in the old... Uh, funny bone uh, of Jorge Masvidal and Ben Askren having a fight at Whole Foods. Let's play a little Sunday morning quarterback here. Uh, armchair GMing, armchair matchmaking. John Jones defends his title against who next? Uh, I'd like to see him fight Dominic Reyes. Uh, I think Dominic Reyes is one of the top guys in the division right now. He's probably the most well-rounded of those challengers we're waiting for in the most Jones ready. You know, like we're talking about Johnny Walker. We're talking about Alexander Rajic. They're a little bit further down the rankings. They could both use another fight or two. I think Dominic Reyes has got sort of the resume and uh, the well-roundedness. Like his boxing looks all right. His wrestling looks good. I think he's probably the most ready. 
not something that necessarily moves my needle, but I don't disagree with you. And I have a feeling it's going to be a similar vibe for me for your next answer. Amanda Nunes defends her title, uh, 135 or 145, dealer choice, against who next? So I think or this, is it whom? I think this largely depends on what Cyborg does against Felicia Spencer at UFC 240 and whether or not she signs a UFC-friendly contract afterwards. Because I, I think the UFC is letting her fight out that contract and fight Felicia Spencer in a fight that nobody really fucking cares about. Sorry, it, it's true. Nobody cares about 1-0 Felicia Spencer fighting Cyborg. They're letting her fight out her contract so that she has no leverage. They're going to say, what, you just got knocked out, and then you beat, what, Felicia Spencer? We don't really care. Here's our offer. Take it or leave it. And I think she walks. And if she does walk, I think we go back to watching Amanda Nunes at 35 because nobody's going to force her to go up to 45. And I think the answer winds up being the winner of Aspen Ladd and Jermaine Durandamy this weekend. Um, and, and I think just because Jermaine Durandamy has put together a whole bunch of wins in a row, she's ranked number one at Bantamweight. Uh, Aspen Ladd undefeated at Bantamweight. She's 3-0 and in the UFC or 4-0 in the UFC going for, for four or five. And she looked really impressive against ranked opponents her last three. So I think no matter which one gets the win, they've got a worthy opponent there for Nunes. Uh, and, and I think that that cyborg contract stuff is about to get real hairy. Jermaine Duran to me is actually interesting to me just because she's so big and pretty tough and a good striker. So yeah. I don't mind thinking of Nunes knocking her head off and them getting well, into like a rock'em sock'em robot. Well, it is important. And I also... It is important to note that that fight did happen. I think people forget about it. That would be Durandamy versus Nunez too. That fight happened all the way back in 2013, and uh, Amanda Nunez got a TKO by elbows. So you're sort of right about that, right? Like you can see her knocking her head off uh, because it's happened. And I was going to say that Aspen Ladd is is probably the more intriguing matchup. Mm -hmm. Uh you know, I already liked what you said. Askren needs to take time off, so I'm not going to ask you who Askren gets matched up with because I, I don't think we see him for a minimum of half a year, if not a full year. He's a very smart guy, and I think he will pull a Wonderboy Thompson. Same with, thing with Robbie Lawler after he got knocked out by Woodley. He'll take some time off. But here's the question of the day, and maybe the most exciting question coming out of uh, the fights on Saturday at UC 239. Who does Jorge Masvidal fight? You know, we were saying it last week on the show that we thought Ben Askren had passed uh, Colby Covington because of the way that they booked Colby Covington for that fight in on August 3rd against Robbie Lawler. And, and I think that sort of by winning this fight, Jorge Masvidal has just performed the perfect flip-flop, right? Like he basically stole all of Ben Askren's momentum and put himself in those, those shoes, right? Like he's got knockout wins over Darren Till and Ben Askren in very impressive fashion, back-to-back. -back. And if you go back a little bit further than that, he knocked out Cowboys. So, like, he, he has put together a good resume. He certainly would be fun to watch fight Usman. I, I'm not sure it's the choice they're going to make, but I, I think it's the one they should make. Yeah, I agree with you completely. He completely has earned it. I think his personality has come out. This is a guy that used to do uh, the same street fighting league as Kimbo. He has an incredible story to tell. And I think you strike when the iron's hot and give him that title shot. 
Well, that wraps up Fastest Fight News. I don't actually know that we made it in under 15 minutes. I forgot to set the stopwatch, so I apologize if that's the case. We always try to be quick. Let's move on to our second favorite. Nah, you know what? It's tied for our favorite segment on the show. It's the Combat Countdown, and it's inspired by the aforementioned Jorge Masvidal. We asked our fans on Twitter, at Top Turtle MMA, give us a follow if you're not already. Hey, what are the best flying uh, attacks in UFC history, and we got a lot of flying knees. Now, we were opening it up. You know, it could have been a flying armbar, a flying triangle. People really love and remember their knees, and it really got a flying knees. And it really got me thinking that there really is nothing cooler than a flying knee in MMA. So we're counting it down today, the top five flying knees in MMA history. Uh, Gumby, one might wonder, though, does any company bring our listeners this combat countdown? As always, the Combat Countdown is brought to you by Sisu Mouthguards. Head to SISUGuard.com for the only mouthguard where you can talk, breathe, and drink all with the mouthguard in your mouth. It is a feat of science. You can just leave that thing up on your chompers without having to take it out while you swig your water, while you talk to your training partners, while you talk to your, your friends on the field. Maybe you're, you're an, a ball sport athlete. But no matter what you're doing, you don't have to take that mouth guard out, handle it with your hands, get it all dirty, and then stick it back in your mouth. Instead, just leave it on up in there. Head on over to SISUGuard.com and get the mouth guard that's right for you. All right. This was a fun list to put together. Uh, we, of course, got the feedback on Twitter, and we narrowed it down. But it was one of those lists where we just had so many good options. We have a couple of honorable mentions. Gumby, hit us with the honorable mentions before we get to the real top five. Oof, yeah, honorable mentions was tough. Uh, we got a lot of good suggestions out there. Uh, one of the one honorable mentions we want to put out there is Anderson Silva versus Carlos Newton at Pride 25. Absolutely exciting uh, flying need. The only thing that stopped it from being on my list a little bit was he needed a couple of punches to finish it up. He Not like Jorge Masvidal needed a couple of punches to finish it up, but he like actually needed a couple of punches. So that one left it off for me. Uh, I also wanted to call out Michael Venom Page, MVP, uh, knocking out Cyborg at Bellator 158. Uh, just like a jumping straight up technical knee, which was really interesting. But again, it was more about like the fact that it cracked Cyborg's skull more than it knocked him out. It, it didn't really knock him out at all. He was like awake the whole time. So that one didn't make our list. And the other one was Jose Aldo knocking out Cub Swanson at WEC 41. Sort of the same kind of deal as, uh, as Jorge Masvidal's running knee. You know, started the fight only eight seconds in. Uh, but at the same time, he, he, like, needed a couple of finish-up punches. Cub clearly was never, like, out cold like Ben Askren was. Uh, so those three were honorable mentions that just barely couldn't make the list. All right, let's go. Number five, kicking off the list. This is such a good one. Uh, it's Spencer Fisher versus Matt Wyman at UFC 60. Yeah, this is one of my all-time favorite ones. I was a huge Spencer Fisher fan back at UFC 60. And they just, like, square off, and Matt Wyman almost, like, invites him to come throw hands with him. And instead of doing that, he throws this flying knee that not only lands square on Matt Wyman and knocks him clean out, but also sends, like, Spencer Fisher flying over the top of Matt Wyman. Like, he had too much energy to keep going up over the top. He, like, turns around and looks to see if he has to finish it, and he doesn't because it was such a badass knee. Uh, it is 100% one of those ones where if you're a new MMA fan, go back and watch Spencer Fisher knocking out Matt Wyman. You could probably find the gif out there. It is damn good. 
if people still watch DVDs, if people still had DVD players when the UFC put out this list, the top five with honorable mentions flying knees, I would be lined up at Best Buy the day it, <laughs> it dropped to buy it. Uh, we'll go to number four. Uh, Pablo Garza versus Fritz and Pejao at the Tough 12 finale, going back a bit. Again, another one of those ones where you've probably not heard these names in a minute, right? Or if ever, if you're a new MMA fan. But Pablo Garza fought Fritz and Pejao in the first ever featherweight fight. That's right, they didn't used to have a featherweight division. And when they bought out the WEC's featherweight division, they started with this fight right here. And Pablo Garza throws a knee that sends Fredson Pajau falling backwards with both of his hands stretched up against towards the sky, laying there like that. And it is absolutely incredible. He does follow up with one tiny hammer fist, but it is definitely not necessary. It is a crazy good flying knee. Uh, number three happened recently, probably on top of everyone's uh, list and present in their mind. It came in the third round of a fight. Probably 1-1 going into the third round. I thought Weidman was winning the first few minutes. This is back at UC 205 and MSG. Uh, hometown crowd for Weidman. Devastating loss as Yoel Romero nearly decapitates him with a flying knee. Yeah, this happened at UFC 205, as you said. And, and to me, this one sort of stands out due to the fact of, that it has such magnitude in what it was, right? Like, some of these other ones we're talking about, like Pablo Garza not losing that fight. And, and you know, like at the end of the day, who remembers Pablo Garza? You know, like Cub Swanson did it in the first like eight or nine seconds. So like, you know, like it didn't change the fight. This to me changed the fight. And that's why it gets up here so high is I had Chris Weidman winning that fight. I had Chris Weidman heading back to being a top name in the 185 division, beating Yoel Romero in out of fucking nowhere, Yoel Romero steals his thunder and catapults himself back up to the top. So almost on magnitude alone, this one moves up the list. All right. Uh, going back to UFC 189, this man is a violence machine, and uh, it's cool that a flying knee uh, is in his history. Jeremy Stevens and Denny Bermudez getting it done at UFC 189. Yeah, I, I like Jeremy Stevens over Dennis Bermuda's big time here for a couple of reasons. The one that I like the best about this is that it's in a situation that not a lot of these other knees are. Dennis Bermudez consistently was trying to back down Jeremy Stevens, put his back in the cage so he could use his wrestling. So what Dennis Bermudez does best is uses aggression in his wrestling, and he successfully backed him all the way up to the cage, and that's when Jeremy Stevens hits the flying knee as a defensive mechanism to stop that takedown up against the cage or to stop the clinch up against the cage. And that is just an incredible way to hit it. And because it's so different than all the other ones, it's like a defensive knee versus an offensive knee. It had to be way up the list. All right. Well, that wraps up the list. That really was number one. No, just kidding. Obviously, Ben Askren getting decapitated against Jorge Masvidal at UFC 239, is clearly the number one flying knee in history. Yeah, and I think, too, it's like, and, and people are going to say, like, recency bias on this one, but, but the fact of the matter is on this one, too, is that it's got so much shit working for it, right? The trash talk leading up to it. None of those other fights have that trash talk leading up to it. The, the fact that, you know, whether you like what he did after the fight or not, all of that stuff plays into it. The fact that he was practicing it ahead of time, and we got to see those clips published afterwards... The, the fact that it is the fastest knockout in UFC history, the fact that Ben Askren went out cold and stiff, 
right away. I mean, there's so many things that make this the best flying knee knockout. And it's not just that it's the most recent one. It's not just the one that, that it's the freshest in our minds. It's that it truly is the best one out there. I also love it's it's been out there now the past couple of days since the fight. There's video of training footage of Jorge Masvidal uh, practicing that flying knee. I've seen videos where they time it out from the practice footage to the actual footage of him doing it. Just very cool. Uh, and I love the deception. Robin Black brought this up in his one-minute breakdown of the fight. Uh, the deception of Masvidal putting his hands behind his back, chilling on the fence like he was just, you know, at the beach or something, and then the violence erupts yeah. with the flying knee. And the other thing about that, too, is that if you saw Ben Askren's, like, video blog of the fight week when they run into each other in, like, the hotel lobby, he does that same thing. He sticks his hands behind his back like, oh, no, I'm I'm just calm here. We're just in a hotel lobby together. My hands are behind my back. And then he does it in the cage, too. It's so badass. I mean, Jorge Masvidal is like a legit badass. All right. That does it for the list. We hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed putting it together. You could hit us up at Top Turtle MMA. We're accepting both love and hate feedback. We have a UFC card this weekend. So, of course, we have a UFC breakdown. Gumby, let's get to said breakdown. But can you tell us, does the breakdown, is it sponsored by any fine company? Well, of course, this UFC Sacramento breakdown is brought to you by Sheath Underwear. Head to sheathunderwear.com, use promo code FLO, F-L-O, for 20% off your whole underwear order. And listen to this, Sheath Underwear is changing the underwear game because they are somehow a combination of boxers and briefs without being boxer briefs. Let me tell you something, they've got an innovative front pocket that promotes airflow so that you don't feel all crushed like briefs typically do, but you don't feel all floppy like you do in boxers when you're working out. So I'm telling you, if you train or if you do any physical activity, head to sheathunderwear.com. So in the three fights that I like, uh, let's start with Aspen Ladd over Jermaine Durandamy. Aspen Ladd is a negative 150 favorite, betting off against Jermaine Durandamy, who's a plus 130 underdog. I'd like Ladd to just be a little bit more versatile here, right? Like, Jermaine Durandamy is clearly got the Muay Thai specialist. She's gonna outstrike Ladd probably, but I don't know if she can grapple with her. And I think Ladd turns this into a grappling match. And especially if it goes five rounds, I think she's probably got the gas tank and can wear out Durandamy. Uh, in the co-main event, I like the guest of the show, Ricky Simon, over Uriah Faber. Ricky Simon, a negative 275 favorite over the Hall of Famer. I, I agree with Ricky Simon's you know analysis of this fight, saying he's more favor than favor. He's a younger, more athletic wrestler, and I just think he gets it done here pretty easily. And then in the third fight, this one's so hard to pick, but I'm going to take Ryan Hall as a negative 125 favorite over Darren Elkins, a plus 105 underdog. This fight is so hard to see how it's going to go, but I imagine at some point in time, this fight goes to the ground, and I like Ryan Hall's chances to finish this fight. So once again, I like Aspen Ladd over Jermaine Durandamy, Ricky Simon over Uriah Faber, and Ryan Hall over Darren Elkins. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We thank you, the fans, for listening. This show would not exist without you guys. I also want to thank Sisu Mouthguard, Sheath Underwear, ADK Fightwear, and Maroon Social. All of our sponsors have been so gracious in helping us keep this show running. We also want to thank Flow Combat for having us on each and every week. We need that platform in order to show you guys the highest quality content, and Flow Combat gives that to us. 
Plus, we want to remind you guys, check us out over on Twitter, Top Turtle MMA. We got all kinds of fun giveaways, trivia, and other various stuff that you're going to want to check out. And once again, I'm Daniel Gumby-Freeland, joined by Shockwave Dave Tremonte, and we will see you next week.